So you guys may not realize this, we've been supporting them for the last three years, right? The first tour, four, right? four five. years, five years? Five, really, almost yeah. five. Yeah. Well, praise God. So we're excited to see. I kind of look at these moments for the church as kind of a stockholder's report. Because we sow into the kingdom, yes. and we sow into you guys, and you yeah. come and tell us all the wonderful things that God's doing. Absolutely. So, it's a partnership. That's absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So share with us. Okay, time. awesome. Well, as Pastor Rich told you, we are Randy and Tessa Bain. We have two boys, Jackson, who's 12. He went out with um, your young people, and Jansen, who's two. Um, he is what we call our blonde hair, blue-eyed Kenyan um, that we came home with because he was born over there. And as Pastor Rich said, we are your missionaries. Um, we are your hands and feet to Kenya and the countries of East Africa. So the mission of the vision, or the vision of the mission is to see a healthy church within walking distance of every African. God has called us to make disciples, plant the church, and reach the poor and suffering with the good news. And one of the ways that we can do that is by equipping local churches to minister to the communities in the areas of what we call compassion ministries. Those are the tangible ministries, things like feeding programs, water projects. And I have the privilege of working with pastors and church leaders leaders to develop these programs through their churches. Do you know, despite all of our efforts, one in three Africans still lacks access to water, or if they have it, it's not clean, safe water. I get to work with Kenya World Serve, where we establish wells, and then we get to partner with Africa Oasis, where we work through filter distribution to provide clean water. People like those two million people living in the Kibera slums just outside of Nairobi, Kenya, or inside Nairobi, Kenya, actually still lack any access to medical care or health education. We hold medical camps and we help churches develop clinics as a ministry. Young women still lack resources for menstrual hygiene and just education about their bodies. We work with women's empowerment programs. And I do this because Compassion Ministries impacts people. I want to share with you a story about my friend Lucy. You see Lucy here. In the southern area of Kenya, it's the area known as the Maasai Mara, and it's what reflects that African savanna that so many of us get as the image in our minds, and it's the home to the Maasai tribe. Now, it's their tribal tradition that when a young girl comes of age, she is often married off to a much older man for the price of a cow, a few sheep, or whatever they determine her value is. And men often have multiple wives. When my friend Lucy was nine years old, she was given to a 47-year-old man for the price of a cow and a few sheep. She had her first child, at the age of 11, and now at 23, has six children. Now, there was a church in Nairobi that wanted to be a light to Lucy's community, and what they realized that the community lacked was access to medical care and prenatal care. So we partnered with them to put a clinic in this community. And you know what, since the community, or since the clinic has been established, the infant mortality rate has actually gone from over 60% to less than 10%, and there hasn't been a single infant death for those that have been born in the clinic. And we praise God for that. Yes. Lucy and her children were seen at this clinic. They were cared for and they heard the hope of Jesus. Well, then Lucy started showing up at the clinic every day. She would sweep the floor. She would wash the equipment. She would greet the other patients. Whatever was needed, Lucy served. And the pastor came to her, and he said, Lucy, he was like, thank you for serving. He was like, but we can't afford to pay you. 
But Lucy continued to come day after day, week after week, month after month, well over a year. Lucy served faithfully. And the pastor came back to her and he said, Lucy, he was like, thank you for your faithful serving. He goes, but we still can't afford to pay you. And Lucy looked up at that pastor with more joy than I've ever seen pour out of one person. And she said, Pastor, it is I that have nothing to give you but my time in my hands. And I give them freely because you already gave me Jesus. Friends, Lucy and her children are now serving Jesus. And we do this. We do compassion ministries because it impacts people. Good morning, everyone. My name is Randy. Um, I want to begin by saying thank you, really, truly. Pastor Rich already said it, but you all have been very faithful in supporting us, supporting our, our ministry over the last, it's been almost five years, and even through the pandemic, which I know was chaotic for all of us in one way or another. So really, truly, thank you. Whatever good works we are doing, the pains are doing in Kenya, you're doing it along with us, and we're able to do it because communities like you embrace us in prayer and generosity and hospitality. So a heartfelt thank you for real. As Tess already said, the mission's vision is to see a healthy church within walking distance of every African. Obviously, that's a pretty massive vision, so how does that bear out in my ministry? To have a healthy church, you need pastors and church leaders who can understand the Bible and recommunicate its message. That's really important. Um, so I work as an educator on the continent. Basically what that means is I teach pastors, I teach church leaders about the Bible. I teach in the city, I teach in the bush. Um, my students are from at least 10 different countries, I think. So the work has a far-reaching impact. I also teach Bible teachers and help to prepare them to teach in their local Bible schools and local churches. In fact, I was just in Kenya about two and a half months ago now where I was teaching biblical interpretation to 69 students from five different countries, Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, Sudan, Burundi. Did I say Burundi? Yeah. All of them are learning to read the Bible well. Um, all of them are returning to their communities to teach in the church or in a, in a local Bible school. And some of them are returning to places that you and I couldn't go to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. It's a good thing. I also develop and write textbooks for a textbook series called the Discovery Series. Um, you might be saying textbooks. Do we really need another textbook? Um, but actually, like, 80%, it's really over 80% of African pastors and church leaders, men and women, they have no access to any kind of quality Bible training or any sort of pastoral resources. So there are many pastors who find themselves uh, in a position, a position of leadership where they have, you know, no books, no print resources, no one to help them study, no one to ask questions to or mentor them, just very few resources so most of the pastors I meet are really hungry for some sort of theological training, tools that can help them to succeed in the ministry, and they're willing to make huge sacrifices, and I mean real sacrifices, to, to get a little bit of quality Bible training. So when we put these textbooks in their hands, not only does it help them to explore the Bible and understand it better, but it also helps pastors and teachers 
to develop content and to be better teachers. They address issues that Africans experience in their churches and help them to apply the Bible's message to those issues, things that you and I don't deal with very often, or things, some of them I promise you, you never deal with. Um, you know, things like polygamy and the self-proclaimed apostles and prophets that are running around demanding an audience and exerting their authority on people and these sorts of stuff. Mixing traditional African religions with, uh, you know, magic, witchcraft, these sorts of things. So, um, the textbooks are also translated into, I think it's 10 languages now, 10 African languages, and then they're disseminated all over the continent and used in our Bible schools. So it's a good project. One more thing. I'm also really excited to share with you about some of the teaching and training that's happening at our Bible schools in rural Kenya. It's a joy for me to teach in some of these places. They have a huge impact on local churches and local communities. But rather than taking my word for it, I wanted you to hear from a lady named Pastor Mary. Mary is a student at one of the Bible schools in northern Kenya. She calls it Kage. You'll hear her say that. Kage is an acronym. It stands for Kenya Assemblies of God Extensions. Um, I'm going to let her tell you about the impact that the schools are having on her and on her community. Her accent's a little thick, but um, the passion will come through. I'm Pastor Marilena Rot Amaya from Turkana South District. I'm Katilu at Aligoy Church. So I'm happy because of Kage School. It has been helpful in me because till I joined that school, I've been enlightened. I am transformed now. I can do the work of God with strength, not fearing because even our culture don't recognize women. But when I come to this school, this school have imparted a knowledge to me. I am strong now. I can do the work of God. So I thank Kage and KAG and our missionary very much for giving us this school near, even in my family because I'm a mother. I have children. So it is very easy for me to come here and, and have my school, attend my, my, my Bible school class. Then I go home. Then I look for my children. I help my church. So I'm very happy. And I say you, are, you have been a blessing to us. Let God help you so that you can help us and give us strength for this work. Even financial, we have a problem, but we thank God for, because he has been gracious. He has been helping. Even now, I'm going to graduate my school the next month. I am happy so much. So I thank you, Kage. I thank you, KAG, for giving us this school in KAG, Kage, Lokichar, Kohot. I am a, I'm a, I'm one of them. I'm a one woman. I thank God. I know that all women will come to this school and will learn and will be enlightened for, so that they can stand in their, their families, even in the ministry of women. We, I am so much grateful because I'm learned and I'm a woman. I will enlighten other women. I will teach them the word of God so that they will be able to teach others and make disciples so that the work of God will go far. So we thank you so much. Thank you, missionary. Thank you, Kage, GS, and so on. I thank you so much for good work that you have done in Lokichar at Turkana South District. Thank you. And we thank you, Bethel, for partnering with us to reach the Lucys and the Pastor Marys. I'll have you guys come back up at the end, and we'll just bless you at the end of the service, if that's okay. Uh, appreciate the work that uh, you're doing and the fact that you're obedient to the Lord. That uh, It's always helpful when people are obedient to the Lord, right? 
As you're taking your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 9, a couple things. I just want to give a shout out to the, to the group, the intercessory team that went to Adult and Teen Challenge Dallas yesterday. Uh, what a wonderful job. It was just a joy to be able to step back and watch God use each and every one of you to minister to these men. And while you were ministering to the men, you were getting filled with joy and strength and excitement as uh, you were also being obedient to the Lord. I want to take a moment also and uh, just have uh, James and Grace stand. James was ordained on Monday night at District Council, and so uh, he's the same guy he was on Sunday. It's just when men discover and and acknowledge what God is already doing is is a wonderful and special time, and so it was just a joy to be able to celebrate that with both of you. I also want to thank the, the, the people over the last four weeks that got up who not normally up in front of the church and talk through what we've been working on since January in the area of redemptive relationships. Uh, each of you got up and was very articulate about uh, taking this summer that while, you know, we got to even this morning, you see people start dispersing during the summer, but, uh, but we're going to take this time to develop uh, each of you so that when it comes to fall time and and we'll match it when our life groups start up again that you're ready to be deployed making sure that uh, the relationships that God have you in uh, really have the greatest impact for me I was uh, at a, a time where I was going to school I got started late going to Bible school and uh, we we actually did one particular thing that had a huge impact on me as we were we were told to take off our shoes and Fortunately, it was a day that I had clean socks on, and uh, they they put a piece of paper on the ground, and then just make an outline of your foot, and so we'd made an outline of our foot, and and, uh, the the question that was proposed after we did that was simply, what kind of imprint do you want to leave when you're done with your life? Lord spoke to me out of a couple things. One thing in particular is that, and you may find yourself in this place where you're in, where you're following the Lord and you're in, you're in a situation that is particularly difficult. And the Lord said it's only when you step over something that is in your way that when you put your foot down on the other side, it leaves the deepest imprint. The other thing that he showed me is that that our relationships, your relationships, my relationships, are ultimately going to determine our legacy. What determines our legacy is not having our name on a building. It's not how much money we made or how little money we made. It wasn't the neighborhood that we lived in or wanted to live in, any of that stuff. What really determines our legacy, what determines the fruit that Jesus talked about in John chapter 15 that remains, are the relationships that we're in. When I first started following Jesus, I, I actually told this story a number of times. I went to a phone book, and I opened up the yellow pages. Some of you maybe don't even know what that is. That's okay. And I knew that, you know, my parents said, pastor in Assembly God Church, so I went to an Assembly God Church. And, and up front was a guy by the name of Oliver Swain. And, and, and while I committed my life to Christ even before I got to church, I developed a relationship with this pastor who was um, a pastor in West, a missionary in West Africa, had uh, developed a Bible college in, uh, in Ghana, West Africa, was really involved in putting up uh, uh, tabernacles so people would have a place that they could get out of the rain or get out from the sun to have church. 
And then he started pastoring a church in Mesa, Arizona. And from that, him and I became pretty close. We golfed together. In fact, it was a time where just him and I, it wasn't a church event. We went to a, a sectional revival. I wasn't called into full-time ministry when we went. And while we were there, I actually felt the Lord just drop into my heart that I was supposed to move into full-time ministry. I believe God was such an extent at that moment that I didn't tell my wife for a year. Some of you know Clarissa. And went, I understand. Not really. It's just not who she married. It wasn't, wasn't really the trajectory that, that God had me on when we got together. And, uh, and so I was kind of chicken about it. And after a year, I told her. And when I told her, she said, yeah, I think God called me into the ministry when I was a little kid. Something to be said about the lack of courage in my heart. So once the news got out there, Oliver Swaim and I were golfing, which is not uncommon. We golf together often. And, and I said to him, I said, well, God called me into full-time ministry. And I don't sing. And I am not called to youth. Because, you know, if you've got any kind of assembly of God background, that's how you get into ministry, right? And I said, what do I do? And he said the most profound words to me that at the time, I kind of walked away rather disappointed, but as I've aged and hopefully gotten a little wisdom in me, I really discovered that he gave me great wisdom. He just looked at me and he smiled and said, I don't know. He was somebody that I looked up to and, and he was a friend that influenced a friend. Because in our spiritual life, in our walk with Jesus, it's not a straight line. I wish it was. But there are, there are curves and there are bends. But, what I, but when, at his funeral, a number of years later, I had, uh, Clarissa and I had started a church in northeast Arizona by that time and went to his funeral. And the guy that was leading the funeral said, I just want to take a moment and have every person who is in full-time ministry go ahead and stand up in the room. And there were over 40 men and women who stood up because of one man influencing the lives that were around him. Because ultimately, when it comes to our relationships, that's what's going to determine the kind of legacy that you and I leave. Whether it's the legacy with our kids, or the legacy with the people that we, we work with, or we, we do hobbies with, or people at church, that's where it's at. Because friends influence friends. In Matthew chapter 9, we read about Jesus going to Matthew or Levi's house for dinner, and as it starts off in verse 10, and Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn. See, so go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What Jesus did in this, this whole uh, dinner time with all of these people is something that we all are going to learn about, and I know many of you have signed up for our training tonight when it comes to redemptive relationships, is he socialized strategically. 
He socialized strategically. I mean, let this sink in. Jesus picks a prodigal Levite, Matthew. And then he says, I guess need someone just a little bit more out there than that. So I'm going to choose somebody who's also Rome's IRS agent. And I'm going to choose that kind of person to win Jews for Jesus. Now, Matthew, we get from scripture, really kind of came from a, a deeply religious background. In fact, he actually had more Old Testament references in his book than uh, Mark, Luke, and John combined. And Jesus recognized there was something in him, and so he made sure that he could get surrounded by people who were in that society the most depraved and said, I'm going to dine with them. Because he understood that they wouldn't come to a sermon, but they certainly would come to a supper. And I would suggest to you that when it comes to redemptive relationships, there are people around all of us who will come to supper and not come to a sermon. That's a good place to amen. And so here's the scene where you have, you have the Pharisees who were supposed to be these religious people who were out in front leading everybody. You had the disciples who were walking alongside Jesus. And you had all these tax collectors who were behind looking to follow Jesus. And in the middle of it was Jesus himself. And I would submit to you this morning, and as we move toward our training tonight, that this dynamic that I just explained to you is redemptive relationships. Now, as we move through the, the training this summer, of course, we have June, we have July, and we have August, but uh, it, it all goes back to, for us, the, the same holds, the same connect, grow, go. And I, and I did the connect a little bit different this week, because typically it's just this one thing that if we don't connect to a belief, we're not going to grow toward it. If, if, we don't, if we don't grow toward it, we're never going to live it out. It's never going to be expressed. But in the redemptive relationships, we're going to be doing the exact same thing. We're going to connect to belief system. That's a big part of what we're going to do tonight. And then we're going to grow, and then we're going to go, and we're going to, we're going to see God really do something with the people who are out in front, the people who are alongside, and the people who are following. So here's where I want you to connect this morning. And it's kind of a command and a belief together. And it's simply this, that... That we need to include Jesus in our relationships because he's present. We need to include him in all of our relationships because he's present. In the early 1990s, I worked for a company called Sutter's Mill. And, and I, was, uh, I had 15 salespeople that, uh, that worked for me. And, and one particular person by the name of Morris Ketchum. Uh, really taught me two valuable lessons. Because when I, when I got promoted, uh, I actually was not the most favored amongst the sales staff. Because there was jealousy. He was a, he was a Christian. And, and of the Christians in the group, he gave me the hardest time. Nothing became easy. Uh, he was always in my face. I, he pointed out everything that I did wrong. You ever know a person like this? Right? 
And he came to my desk one time and he, and he said these words. He says, will you do me a favor? And I'm telling you, the moment he said, will you do me a favor, a million thoughts ran through my head at that moment. And what I found is that in that moment, there was Morris, there was myself, and there was Jesus. Because Jesus made a statement to me in that moment that has stuck with me uh, all, all, ever since then. And it was simply this. Are you going to allow this man to control your spirit? There are some of you that think that, that you, live, you work in the most heathen, horrible places that anybody could work. And you're praying to Jesus, get me out of this workplace. Because you don't think Jesus is present there. You think Jesus sends you to work by yourself. Some of you are in marriages where you think Jesus isn't present in your marriage. But when you understand that Jesus is always in the middle of relationships, it begins to change the way you approach them. So for me, for that moment, I began to literally, in my workplace, I began to strategically socialize. So what did that mean for me in that day? It meant that when it came to the guys who were in production, I would stay after work and I would play basketball just to get an opportunity to share the faith with them. It meant that I would stay after work and take my change, and some of you hardcore assembly God people are going to have a problem with this, and I played poker for money just to be able to share the gospel. I don't know if I won or not. I wasn't there to win, although there was always that side of me. But the fact of the matter is this one lady who was very much reflective of our society today that was confused in her relationships. When my youngest son was born, her and her girlfriend came to our house to see our newborn because there were, were strategic social, socialization. There was a young lady that worked for me at the time. Her name was Cindy Stout, and she was one of the, the, the better salespeople. Her, her husband ran a contracting company. And she came to me one day, and she said, I'm going to go to lunch with my husband. I'll be back, da-da-da-da. Okay, yeah, whatever. She came back in utter tears. Her husband had taken her to lunch and said, I'm leaving you for another woman. Not only was he leaving her for another woman, he was leaving her for her best friend. And she was utterly broken. But because time had been spent socializing strategically, she invited Clarissa and I over to her house to minister to her during this hardest time. And it was during this hardest time that she really wanted her husband back, even after what he did. And so she turned her life toward Christ, and we began to pray with her. It wasn't, it wasn't overnight. It wasn't a simple couple steps. There was one day she came in, and, and she was so frustrated because she drove by her friend's house and her husband's car was there and then she called him on the phone and knew that he was right next to her best friend but we continued believing God together she had a dream and in the dream her husband was seriously hurt and so she got up in the morning and she called him and he just cast her off like he had every other conversation. But, but he was up on a ladder that day, and the ladder slipped, and he fell. And as I remember, it significantly hurt his back. 
But God, in that prophetic moment with his wife, showed him that he was in the midst of that relationship. They ultimately got back together and were serving Christ with their two kids. When you make Christ the center of all of your relationships, powerful things can happen. So if you're of the belief that Christ doesn't go with you to, some of you don't believe that Jesus goes to Walmart at all, but even Jesus can be found in Walmart. When we understand that Jesus is present everywhere, then we need to start including him in our relationships. So how do we grow into that? Because I, I, would, I, I would venture to say that the majority of the people in this room never thought about Jesus being in relationships other than maybe one or two times this week. But the first place we got to grow is in a word that we think we have down, and that's the word love. We think we have the word love down because we just acknowledge people. But love focuses on others. And so if the focus on others is only focused on when you get something from them, it really isn't love. And so here's what you have to do. Here's how you grow in loving others who are around you. People who, who look different than you, the people who are deprived, the, the people who would, the, they are depraved, the people who wouldn't come to a sermon but will come to a supper. What do you do there? You pray until you love them. When you pray, you're praying and connecting with God's heart toward those people. And so here, you find Jesus right in the middle of all these tax collectors, the, the religious people, and the disciples. And I like it how the religious people, they don't go to Jesus, they go to Jesus' disciples. And, you know, I just always got to wonder, they, they, they get asked these questions that they're going, I don't know. I never imagined myself having dinner in this place today. Jesus was really good there. But the lesson is this, and I, I think some of you really need to get this because you're going you're gonna to relate this to some people who are in your life, that Jesus can be right in the middle of the people who affect you negatively. Every one of those tax collectors had had a moment with the other people in those rooms where they were taking their money for a foreign entity. Some of you feel like that with federal taxes because you don't have to do it in Texas. But we also have to grow in our lifestyle because our lifestyle isn't, isn't done just to, to, to really just fulfill a bucket list, but now we have to live intentionally and there needs to be inclusiveness in our life. So we have to choose not to isolate. So for me, I, I, there are a lot of things in life that I just happen on. The Lord was doing something. My mom had had a heart attack. We, we were living in the White Mountains. And uh, I, uh, I thought, I'm, I'm laying on the floor and, and I'm listening to my heart. I'm thinking, you know, I don't go to the gym I probably should go do something that makes sure that this, this ticker of mine stays healthy. And so I went to the gym, and, and I don't remember how many times I'd gone to the gym, and, and I'm doing the wonderful, boring exercise of lifting weights and all of this stuff that you can tell I stuck with over the years. And, and again, 
the Lord just dropped something into my heart while I'm actually, I even know the machine I'm at. I'm at that machine where you pull it down, you know. And, uh, and the Lord says, he says, do you want to use this, Jim, for my glory? And I went, you know, I kind of look around going, yeah. <laughs> and there was a guy that was in the racquetball court, and he was just throwing this ball with his right hand, his left. And that's how I got involved in handball. What I found was handball was really the strategic social opportunities to reflect and share the gospel. Because the, the handball group that grew from that was a, was a decent handball group. And there were constantly dinner parties. And I loved going to dinner parties. They were just a lot of fun. Because we would go into these different houses. And, you know, everybody else would be drinking. And Clarissa and I would be having just as much fun with them. And, and hanging out. And my, one particular time, we were at a guy's Bob's house. And, and uh, we're, we're sitting in his dining room area at this table and with Bob and Ellen. And, and Bob just looks at us. And with the most confused look in his face, he goes, you guys really don't drink? It couldn't compute in his head. I'm like, no, I just, no, we don't really drink. And then we go to their house, and then, you know, and then it became our turn, where everybody came to our house for the dinner party. And they knew we didn't drink. And so they said, you going to have alcohol there? Nope. Can we bring our own? Yep. And we'll supply the glasses. They all commented about the spirit of the house after that moment. One particular guy is a firefighter in the Phoenix area. He comes up, you know, of course, you know, in Texas, it's really hard to escape the heat. In Arizona, you can go to the mountains and get out of the heat. And that's where we were at. And so people would come up from Phoenix. And Brent was the guy that came up from Phoenix. And, and, uh, and, and he, he was part of our group. And, he, and again... I lived and was in relationships strategically, and, and, he, and, and I actually don't remember I was injured in my back or something, so I was just sitting in the jacuzzi, and, and he comes into the pool jacuzzi area of the gym, and, and he sits down, and he goes, you know, I went to this, this Church of Christ church, and I've started to follow Jesus. Can you tell me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Those questions only come up if you're strategic about your socialization. And so what I would encourage you is to be inclusive with people who are not like you. That gets harder the longer you're a follower of Jesus. Because as we said tonight, it's a training, but there's barbecue involved. All of you just heard barbecue. Because, because listen, that's the great thing about church. We have some of the greatest people who walk alongside of us. And so we get exclusive with the people who walk alongside of us. And forget there's people out front and there's people behind. So let me talk just a minute about, you know, what do we do with this? How do we go from here? Well, to really, really implement this and get this, some changes in this this week, uh, we have to understand that, that really uh, there's a difference between introverts and extroverts. How many introverts do we have in the room? How many extroverts? You're one or the other, so you're going to raise your hand. How many extroverts do we have in the room? Okay, so you know you're an extrovert because you get excited and, and look forward to a bunch of people that you're going to interact with. You know, introverts are quite the opposite. They say, you know, how many light bulbs is, or how many introverts does it take to screw in a light bulb? The introvert says, why can't I sit in the dark? Because that's the way introverts are. Someone once said, I'm an extrovert because I like to talk. And there was no one present. Yeah, some of you get that on the way home. So when it comes to, when it comes to redemptive relationships, 
and, and, and we're talking about being able to, to share the gospel, there's this balance between the social part and the message part. And, and, and it's really easy to be out of balance. Now, it, this isn't exclusive here that extroverts are one way and introverts are another. But for the sake of us understanding being out of balance is that typically the extroverts, they're, they're talking without recognizing the audience. And introverts recognize the audience but don't get the message. Because if you're like me, and I'm an introvert. And some of you go, no, you're an extrovert. No, I love people. But listen, I get energy not being around people. And, and listen, if I'm in a group of people that I'm not familiar with, while everybody's talking, in my head I'm going, I'm going to say this. And when it gets time to say this, somebody interrupts, and then I don't get to say it at all. And then it happens again and again and again. How many can relate to that? Because that's the life of an introvert. And so if we're not careful, we never get the message out there, even though we fully run, understand the audience. So how do, we, how do we get balanced? I just want to finish here and, uh, as the worship team is coming. It's simply this. We have to start by literally confessing regularly. We have, to, we have to confess regularly. What do we have to confess? First and foremost, we have to confess who we are. Lord, I'm out of balance. I understand the audience, but I'm not good with the message. Or God, my mouth always gets out in front of me, and I need your help with that. And we need to confess that Jesus is in the relationships. Some of you need to do that before leaving today. You need to say, Jesus, you're in the middle of this situation, work situation, marriage situation, whatever, whatever the situation is, you have to confess, Jesus, you are there. And it's kind of funny that we, we, we believe that or know that here, but it's not a belief that we have. Because we kind of just go about life not thinking about the reality that Jesus is present. And he's there going, hey, I want to be involved in the middle of your relationships. And so when you, when you um, confess, then you, then you want to commit. And, uh, and here's the thing. There, there's that verse 10 of that chapter 9. It just says that behold. There's this look. That word behold is a powerful word. Whenever you see that in scripture, it's like a spotlight coming right on it. And so I think the Lord wants us in this day to commit to recognizing that he is in the midst and he has people around us that he wants us to interact with. So how do we commit to that? Well, it's very simply this. Take, your, take out your iPhone or, you know, if you're still spiritually maturing, take out your Android. <laughs> now, did I say that? That was wrong of me. I'm not up here for an Apple commercial. And, and here's what you do, is you just simply get on your phone, and you can do it one of two ways. You can get on your alarm, and at 9, 10 a.m. every day, set an alarm. And every time that alarm, and some of you, if you get up after 9, 10, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, still do 9, 10. And allow, allow the Holy Spirit to remind you through your device to behold that Jesus is present, and that he has you in the middle of incredible relationships. And then as you're doing that, you're going to confess to him, Jesus, I don't really, I, man, I walk out the door and, you know, I've got a 30-minute drive on I-20 or I-30 or A-20 and, and you're definitely not on those freeways at 8 in the morning. And so I, I forget that you're even with me. 
But if you, if you confess that, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is faithful, and he'll start reminding you. He'll start talking to you. And what you'll find is that if you'll make the commitment to socialize strategically, you'll make friends that you'll be able to influence because Jesus is in the middle of it. And so, Jesus, we thank you for for really bringing us to a place of redemptive relationships. We don't want to just be in relationships, Lord. We want to be in redemptive relationships. So, Lord, help us. Help us this summer to to grow into people who are uh, strategically socializing so that, Lord, we might have the kind of impact, the kind of legacy that that you promised we would have. You said that we we would bear fruit. And, and not that we would bear fruit, but that we bear much fruit. And not that he would even bear much fruit, but that we would produce fruit that remains. And Lord, we just turn to you, and I would encourage each person to do this. Say, Lord, I want to produce fruit that remains. And just like Oliver Swain produced fruit that remained. Lord, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to end up in full-time ministry, but God, people are going to be connected with you. Your rule and reign is going to come into their lives and into their hearts. And the people that are around them, that are like them, are going to experience the reality of a resurrected Christ. And so, Father, help us. Help us, Lord, to confess our failings here, Lord. Help us to commit, Lord, to recognizing that you are in our midst. And to have a lifestyle that is different than everyone else. A lifestyle that socially is strategic in Jesus' name. If you prayed with that at any point, say amen. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.